Jay, how are you? Hello. How are things down in uh, the Delta today? Very similar they were last time. <laughs> little, little damp? Yeah, it's a little damp. It's uh, been raining. We're supposed to get three or four inches of rain the next couple of days. We've made significant progress in planting since we talked last, but it's part, it's part of the process. So How it, Every year is different. That's right. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about the the weather. Uh, it's uh, it's impacting farmers all across the country right about now. Everyone's a little bit antsy, but uh, you guys, uh, as you said, the last two weeks have been in planting mode uh, in between pretty significant rain events. Uh, can you kind of give us a quick update on uh, on where you guys have been since we last chatted uh, about two and a half weeks ago? Sure. We, uh, we've made significant progress in planting our plots. We've had a lot of conversations with customers and others around the industry over this period of time, talking about populations and all the things that have to happen to get the planting, the planning for planting done. Uh, we have had a lot of progress in our, in our field work, but we also are trying to be responsive to the things that people are asking about in today's environment. By that, I mean that we, we do work here on the Learning Center every year at sort of a known set of circumstances. We need to identify populations that are appropriate for corn hybrids and beans and all those sorts of things. But we have these weather events that come up over time, and that gives us the opportunity to, to help or try to help supply data that allows us to understand what's happened in the field in a given season and understand how we need to respond to that if we need to do anything at all. And, and by that, I mean that, that we take input from customers and from the broader business that enables us to go out and plant plots that answer certain specific questions that are year dependent. Okay. And, and what we've done along that line, and we've done a lot of this work over the and I, and I think it would be be of, of use and utility to everyone to for me to just talk a little bit about some of the work, some of the utility it might have. Right now, we are in the midst of a rainfall event, and we have most of the corn probably in the coastal region of the U.S. been planted. So it's either, you know, it's imbibed water and is actively emerged or is emerging from the soil we're well on our way down the road of getting this corn crop established. And now we'll have all these questions that are related to the weather events. So we've had two major rainfall events in the last 10 days or two weeks. We got five, five and a half inches of rain at the learning center about 10 days ago. We're going to get four today and tonight. And, and is that isolated to the Delta or has that kind of been uh, across the Southern, Southern States? I, I I would say that it is mainly concentrated in deep mid-southern states, so eastern Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Mississippi. But, of course, anything that affects Mississippi is going to affect Alabama on some level and then sure. sort of go across to Tennessee. But And this is on top of snowfall that you guys had. You had a pretty wet winter. Is that correct? Is that right? Yeah, we didn't get much snow, but we did get a little bit of ice, and we had a pretty wet winter. So that's leading to some other questions that, that we'll get to a little further down the conversation. Okay, sure. Um, when you look at those weather events, you know, the far northern geographies that we support have not planted yet for the most part. So that's western Tennessee, you know, northeast Arkansas. 
when you get into Louisiana, southeast Arkansas, and Mississippi, we got a significant amount, if not most, of the corn in the ground. And the, the question now will be, will become, number one, what impact does the does the rainfall and these weather events, you know, what difficulties do they present to the crop? And number two, should I plant and it, you know, when and where and how should I make those decisions? And we've done a lot of work over the years along that line, and it and it's hard to, you know, in this format, really give you all the details of it. But I can tell you the kind of things that we've done and what we've observed relatively for the impacts of that kind of work. Okay. The, the sort of stuff that we've worked on, and, and we've talked about this before, is over the years we've done a lot of work with planting depth in corn. And planting corn at the appropriate depth, which is deeper than a lot of the row crops we grow in the mid is is exceedingly important. We have to get that right to start with. And that helps buffer some of the other things that happen in the environment. Things like bird predation, uh, things like rooting quality, and, and corn that tends to develop and try to be rootless at times can be dealt with as long as we plant at the appropriate depth. And that's two inches is that's what the- you... That's two plus inches all the time. Mm-hmm. So as you plant corn and you set your planter, if you set it two inches deep and pull it through the field and it drafts, you're going to plant shallow. So even though you had the planter set what appeared to, in a, at what appeared to be a correct setting, it can be shallow. That's really after the fact at this point. But the impacts that that has are on the growth of the plant, uh, those planting depths actually influence the ability of birds to prey on the seeds that are in the ground because they pull them up and eat the seeds at times. There's all that sort of stuff that goes on. And, and those are things to go out and evaluate now post-rain event. So then you've got the other questions that need to be asked. Okay, I've got stands that are not uniform. You know, stands that are sub, uh, sub-ideal when it comes to uniformity or when it comes to the actual number of plants that are left standing in the field. After the rain is the time to go look at that. And we've got a lot of work over the years in place that has shown us the impacts of some of those things. If you go to the webpage and look around, you'll find work over the years where we have artificially simulated, for instance, bird damage. You know, where where we dig up a, a seed and destroy a plant, we suffer in yield significantly. If the birds just break the top side of the plants, and that's what planting depth actually leads to most of the time, is that it gives enough mechanical resistance, they can't pull the seed up, and they just break the top out and move along. Well, those plants recover. Even though they look like, you know, they've been destroyed and there's there's nothing left above ground, they grow out rather quickly and, and compensate for that kind of damage. We've also gone out and deliberately evaluated stands of all magnitudes. So really low stands, really you know adequate or even into the high populations. And what we find is that the corn hybrids we're growing today can compensate for some of that you know loss in stand, but they compensate for all of it if it's very severe. Okay. So there's a point in there to be critical. And also another thing that can be evaluated in, in today's climate is what's the impact of a skip or a double so a skip is a missing plant and a double are are two plants that are in real close proximity to each other there are a lot of reasons that those things happen they're typically related to the planting process one way or another either you have a seed that didn't come up or a seed that a bird pulled up or 
a seed that was dead when it was planted, that's possible. Those would lead to skips. You'll have doubles where they, sometimes they won't singulate in the hopper. Or you can have the case where you'll get a skip and a double. When you have a skip followed by a double immediately or preceded by a double immediately, those are two seeds that caught each other as they fell out of the seed hopper. And typically that's related to planting speed and equipment adjustments and that kind of stuff. But what we found when we went out and looked at those cases where we had those specific errors in the field, we went out and hunted, deliberately hunted the scenario in the field. So we'd harvest those individually, weigh the ears and figure out what impact a skip had and what impact a double had. We actually found that a, a skip was a worse issue than a double. So if you go out in a field and you find the stand has been reduced either by weather events or by predation on the seeds and, and those kind of things, that's the point where you really need to evaluate whether you, you should consider replanting if you have time. And so let's talk about stand counts. What's sort of a rule of thumb or what is the research that you guys have done down there? What has been that? Uh, again, every farmer has to make that decision on their own and work with, uh, you know, their local local reps and, and retailers. But what's that? What's the research coming out of your area? What is, what is that sort of signal to growers is that 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 breaking point, if you will? Well, I, what I would say is that it has changed. And, that, and that's kind of in this sort of conversation, the thing I would want to point out to folks that, are, that happen to be listening. That that has changed in the recent past. We to this point as well not to this point but relatively new hybrids that were reasonably fixed in the way that they made the corn made the grain crop by that i mean they would make a certain size ear and that ear didn't get any bigger and you had to have more plants to drive up yield well now we've got corn hybrids and it's it's most of the decal products for sure and, and there, there are grades of this that are what we refer to as flex-type hybrids. So they right. can compensate for some of the losses of plants around them, but they can't compensate for a, a disaster. You know, you can't have mm-hmm. one, one corn ear take the place of four. That's just, right. that's not reality. Right. But you might have one take the place of, you know, a half of one that's missing or a quarter of a one that's missing. And, and I'm using those numbers, not, not as hard numbers, but relatively. So, what we have found is that a lot of the hybrids that we grow today are adapted pretty well in that 35, 36,000 planted range population. That's kernels per acre. We really start to see yield drop off as we get down into the high 20s, particularly in the mid 20,000 range. So you've got to weigh that against the penalty that you would pay for the replanting being later because you've got to kill the corn that's out there you got to start over. you got to go through all the process of finding new seed and, you know, getting all the machinery and the people and everything ready to replant. So there's a cost associated with replanting in the investment that you make. So the potential to have a yield penalty from replanting because it's later into the year. Mm-hmm. And that replanted crop is going to, you know, it's, it's going to pay a price some years, not every year, uh, for that. And we've actually, based on conversations around here this morning, I've actually changed some of the research that we're going to do. And we're actually going to have a plot that will have planting dates that range from about three weeks ago to about three weeks from now. Hmm. And that'll give us some 
particularly, you know, one location of a replicated trial, you know, that's, that's some data. It's better than nothing for sure. And it'll give us some idea of how the two teams develops and what the response to planning date would have been. Right. And, and at, at minimum, I suppose, for, you know, customers or farmers in that area, it's a, it's a, it's a conversation that can be had, right? Like some, some, cause you'll have people who go ahead and make that call to replant. Um, and if they come to visit your location or you venture out and have various field days and things like that, um, you'll have your own trial to say, well, here's what we're learning. What do you think is happening on your farm? And again, like you said, it's not, maybe it's not scientifically, you know, uh, appropriate or relevant or whatever word you want to use from the science based on science side, but it's one of those, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess it's like just a, like you said, it's a data point in time just to use to potentially, potentially inform, um, other conversations that might take place around this whole idea of replanting or not. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I would say that it is a scientific measure. It's just one point in time and one location. Right. So you have to consider all the factors in each individual field and on, on each individual farm and then take the consider, take into consideration all those other things that we just talked through, you know, right. What's my ability to line up new seed and what's my willingness to do all those things. That's, that's really where the, Know, where the issue lies is you you talk through all the factors and then suddenly you make a decision and do whatever it is you feel appropriate locally. Do you hear or see or find, uh, especially given the weather that you're you're dealing with, is that a that, that replant conversation is is that happening right now with a lot of folks? It's it is top of mind right now to everyone, and I would I would say I I think that's very encouraging to hear, hear people having it, but I don't think we're in distress just yet. Mm-hmm. I've. I've had several conversations lately with people who know they had a problem. They, for instance, had a planter set incorrectly or made some slight error in, in the planning process that reduced stand. Well, that we understand why that happens. So the question becomes, do I, do I, I ditch it and start over? And, you know, we can't answer that specifically, but we can give you some guidance about the things to consider in the process. And that's really what the learning center is about is, is trying to build that conversation and have data available, particularly for specific products that, that can give you some idea of how they'd respond in a, you know, one scenario or the other. Gotcha. And let's talk uh, a bit more about the weather that you guys have been dealing with that. Uh, so most, uh, most farmers in the, in the coastal region, uh, we're talking Southern, Southern U S um, have, have planted corn. Um, obviously some, some haven't, but most, uh, I think it's probably fair to say most have. Um, what are some things? So you're looking at what early vegetative stage V1, V2, maybe at the most on some folks uh, out to emergence happening. Is that kind of where we're at right now? Yeah, I suspect there's some corn leafed out in the far southern areas pretty well. I'd be surprised if there's not. But we have had a cold snap lately that's, that's going to set things back a little bit. I don't think any of that threatens the yield potential of corn that that didn't suffer chilling injury or something, and, and we didn't have much of that, or if any. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question now becomes, you know, is this weather event going to linger, and what impact is it going to have? I think most of the corn will come through this fine, but it's time to go out and evaluate the stands because the the timing of replanting is getting to be critical. And just think through the process. You have great threat to corn from these sort of rain events as long as it was planted deep enough to start with and it doesn't get all the dirt washed off the seed 
and it does not sit up for significant periods of time. And, and it takes a while underwater, you know, for the, for the water to, for the soil to become anaerobic and the seed to suffer physiologically and just do all that bad stuff that happens when those events occur. But I think if we get this weather on through and, you know, if the sun comes out and it warms up, I think it's going to be a, a very different situation in a lot of people's minds. But it's time to go out and look. So, so sort of the, the takeaway here is, you know, not no no need to send up the red flag, but, uh, you know, go out and give yourself a, a, a good look at the, your fields just to, to check in on them. Uh, kind of like what you would probably do anyway, but uh, maybe pay a closer, t- closer eye on those stand counts. I, I think that's exactly right. And I would encourage everyone to do that, particularly as you invest in new planting equipment that you might not be as familiar with as, as what it replaced. Go out and make sure that it did what it was supposed to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, be very careful, even of the hybrids that you plant, make sure they're coming up as they should and that you've got the things that, that set you up for success further into the year because we're going to come out of this weather event with corn and get off and growing and doing what it needs to do. And we've already got, <clears throat> excuse me, got people that are starting to plant soybeans. And uh, the conversation pretty quickly is going to turn to planting soybeans and then pretty quickly after that to planting cotton. So, uh, those conversations need to be had for corn and settled and, and let's move on to something else. And, and I think the next uh, issue that I would mention and anyone that hears this and wants to comment on it, I would love for some feedback about it because one of the major influences and, and one of our major influences here in the Delta, of course, is the river. And the river backwater, which is basically the backed up water that can't run out of the Delta south end, it backs up into the delta the more it rains, so it puts farmland underwater. It doesn't come out from underwater for a long time. Uh, corn that's planted on that may be threatened, and, and and there may be a time, you know, that has to be abandoned and, and something else planted on it if it's if it's underwater and waterlogged a long time. It's, it's always hanging over our agriculture here. And in response to that, a lot of that land either winds up planted in soybeans or cotton. And in response to that fact that the water is backed up down there now, it's going to come up even further with this rainfall we're having now. We've actually put a test in. The first planting day of it's already planted. And we will plant soybeans from, I think the actual planting date was March 24th, probably on over into mid-July because we will have soybeans planted into July in response to the river going down. And there's probably some things we can learn by understanding the varieties that should be planted and the varieties that shouldn't be planted. Uh, If we do that sort of planting date study, we've done it previously, but we've not done it that far out. So you're talking about for soybeans, you plant plant your first uh, plot on March 24th? Yeah. And you're going to take it all the way through what every two or three weeks, plant a new new field. Yeah, probably every three. Yeah, weeks we'll plant another set of, of varieties. And just for curiosity's sake, a lot of folks ask what it is that we range of varieties we test. And and to give you an example of what goes on here around the center, things we know are not going to work. <laughs> and, and and we do some of things to prove they're a bad idea. <laughs> uh, so, we planted and we have planted from double zeros all the way out to group sevens and eights. And 
I know a double zero is not the right soybean to be grown in Mississippi, but can we grow some earlier beans? That's the question. And it, right. it is kind of an unknown. Um, we're doing stuff in response to insect pressures that we have here and just trying to find varieties that are adapted, make sure the ones we are selling here are, are well adapted and get an idea of how they respond to planting date and all the inputs that we apply. Interesting. And how do those real fast, I guess, uh, interesting about the, the planning things of, you know, you do it to prove it basically to prove it's not a great idea. How, how do those go over with growers? I, I, I will tell you I, that sort of work has been a has been very popular with the visitors that we have come and go here and it, it you know you got to be careful when you get playing around with that, things that are that far out of the norm for the geography you're working in so i tell people all the time let me mess this stuff up you know uh if you have an idea that that you think you'd like to see someone try let us try it we're, we're more than willing. We take that sort of guidance and in seriously. And that's where a lot of that planning date work came from. And it, it gets pretty good audience going to see it. I'm, I'm yeah. really interested in it. Yeah, I think it has, has some to, you know, either disprove or prove ideas, depending on which viewpoint you take. Well, and, and I think this kind of um, supports some of our other conversations we've had uh, on these, this podcast, which is, you know, the technology in agriculture has has just grown in leaps and bounds to where uh, there might be a time when you can you might have to do some of that sometimes. And, and now we have the tools and, and capabilities, not not everywhere, but it's worth trying just to see what's out there and what possibilities might exist because uh, of of, you know, there, there's so much change like, like you're alluded to, though. You know, weather weather patterns change constantly, whether you want to call that climate change or not. That's a whole nother discussion. Uh, but we do know the weather is impacts and seems to be, um, you know, a little bit on the extreme side occasionally here. So, um, you know, every year is different. And there's so much at stake that it helps to have that information out there, I think. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, it pushes the boundaries of, of the known science also. That's one of my sort of pet mantras, I guess you would say, is I, I always want to I want to know where the edges are. Mm-hmm. And and I think from that we learn how to improve the the bulk of what we do if we learn what's going on around us. And you, you can't really know the system until you break it. And I don't want somebody to do that on their farm. That's what the that's what these experimental farms are for. We like to do yeah. the work. Yeah. What else is on your mind? Uh, and what's uh, anything else to report from uh, your neck of the woods down there? Well, we uh, we look forward to the to the planting season and we look forward to getting started on planting cotton. We're going to have a significant program in cotton here. I want to encourage everyone to come see. We'll have uh, all sorts of work just in the crops in general. I'll kind of run through a highlights of what we'll have. We've got all the normal corn work. We've got corn population work that we've continued characterizing uh, hybrids. We're looking at replanting scenarios where we plant thin stands and then plant into those and then start over clean and that kind of stuff. We'll have soybean work that I just mentioned earlier, but we've also got a lot of other stuff that we're doing on different soil types, evaluating responses on soil types and into irrigation, into all sorts of damage and just a whole lot of stuff we're doing in beans. In cotton, we're going to have work that, that goes along 
terms of looking at fertility levels, nitrogen fertility, particularly in cotton, we'll have the typical PGR type work. We'll also have a set of the NPE uh, varieties, which are the varieties for commercialization coming along. We'll have all those in as a as a piece of background, including information. And then we've got the normal planting date stuff that we do in really all the crops. So I would invite anyone who's interested and wants to come see, uh, give us a call. Or if you happen to be up by Scott sometime, pull in and, and find somebody. And we'll be happy to take you out and show you everything we have. And if not, we'll uh, we'll be here on this uh, little podcast every uh, week or two to kind of bring the update from the Delta region and the coastal area and uh, provide any insights uh, that you uh, want to hear or have that Jay has heard uh, from hosting people from his own field work out there. Um, that's what the that's the point of this. The point of this trying this out is just to share information as we come along. It's uh, the new the new coffee shop, I suppose, is one way we try to look at this. Is we want to get the information out there and have a discussion about it, so we all learn from each other. And uh, there's a great place to do that, and and the learning centers, not just at Scott, but uh, around the country. A lot of good agriculture research is taking place, and it's uh, it's it's a good opportunity to get out there and learn from other people and see what's going on. And and I would I would reinforce the idea too. If if things come up over the the next month or so that people believe that we could help give somebody a call. You know, we're easy to find on the internet and on the web page and all those places. We take that very seriously and we'd be delighted to have the conversation with you. Y'all, you bet. Good week. Yeah. Jay, I, last thing real fast. Uh, it was agronomy week from a few folks up here. Uh, and you guys have a couple of agronomists on staff yourself uh, working the fields every day. It's uh, just a nice thing to say thanks to all the, uh, the folks who, have the boots on the ground and are side by side and hip by hip with the farmers, uh, whether it's digging, uh, digging, digging for the, the seeds to make sure germination popped or looking for weeds or uh, finding those, uh, those bug traps on uh, wonderful hot, uh, you know, August uh, days in Mississippi. I'm sure uh, you've come across a good, a few good agronomists and you have one there in Scott as well. Uh, with Scott, and uh, I just wanted to kind of get your quick take on agronomy in general and the role that plays in, in what you do, but also in helping farmers be successful. Well, I would say it's it's uh, nice to have a, a dedicated period of like agronomy week to sit around and, you know, we talk about and think about what it is that, that goes on. And as I view agronomy and I view this science of agriculture that we're all involved in, when you think about the different disciplines we all do something different, but when you get right down to it, it's all to one end goal, and that's productivity and net return on dollars invested for the crops and and stewardship of the environment and the insects and, you know, all the things that go. I think the agronomist is is one of the more important components of all of that. And if we don't get a good crop growing, we're not going to have anything to kill insects in. And the agronomists are an essential part of getting the crop up, growing, making the right decisions up front. And then we get to incorporate all those other sciences like entomology for insect control and nematologists for nematode management and weed scientists for managing weeds. But we got to get the crop going first. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when you consider that, I think it's uh, I think it's a great opportunity for, for folks to be involved in agriculture. 
Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, thanks, Jay. Uh, get uh, get dry this weekend. Hopefully, you don't get the four to five inches, but maybe have it if anything. And uh, you know, we look forward to hearing the next report in the next week or so. And uh, we'll probably be hearing about soybean planting uh, the next time we talk, or getting the report from y'all from how corn fared after the the next rain event down there. So, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll talk in a little bit. You're welcome. Y'all all have a good all right. week. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye.